And we are live, and dun 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 Lords of Light! Demon Dogs! Alright folks, welcome to Dun 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 Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 36, Thunder the Barbarian! We are going to be talking about everybody's, and I mean everybody, because if it's not your favorite, you suck. Everybody's favorite post-apocalyptic cartoon from the 1980s, Thundar the Barbarian. We're not going to have to have a fight about whether Planet of the Apes or Thundar is better, are we? Um... Hmm. That that is like comparing okay that is like comparing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony to the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but Thundar is still better. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's that's like that's like comparing apples and nuclear reactors, sir. Okay, yeah. it's just not you know. Um, so anyway, so joining us tonight, as we could see, is. Adam Bomb Glancy and William T. Thrasher. William T. Thrasher is no longer a special co-host because he's <laughs> he's on the show so much. So, um, but it's as he said, it's his favorite cartoon. So I was like, okay, well, okay. But anyway, no, it's always good to have you, Will. And uh, glad to be here. You're going to have to go some way towards proving that this is your favorite cartoon. Well, I say it's my favorite post-apocalyptic cartoon. Well, there's, it's, there's not a whole lot to choose from, so... Um. All right, I thought it was... <laughs> well, there's Planet of the Apes. I thought you were a favorite cartoon, so I was going to say, you know, how did this run up against uh, the Herculoids, or, um, <laughs> uh, or uh, uh, what would be another uh, uh, space ghost? But all right, fine. Well, but a lot of, a lot of the same players were involved in that. Uh, but anyway, so uh, we're going to talk about Thunder the Barbarian. Uh, cartoon uh, came out. It was actually... Uh, a lot of a lot of places I've I, I seen it misrepresented, saying uh, Hanna Barbera. I've seen, but it's actually Ruby Spears, who actually used to did work for Hanna Barbera and cut their teeth in the animation field from them and learned a lot from them and formed their own animation company called Ruby Spears. And that's the last name of the two gentlemen, of course. And uh, I think it's uh, what was it Jack Ruby? You have to, I don't remember the first. It, name. Jack no Jack Ruby's Joe the Ruby and Ken Spears. <laughs> presidential assassin. <laughs> maybe, maybe Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. Thank you, uh, Oswald Assassin. Let's, Pat, I got that backwards. Yeah, so Pat uh, Oswald was involved in this. It's now completely out of control. Excellent. <laughs> well, well what, what else is what else is new? We're off to another great start here. That's why people love us, cause we're you know we don't pretend to be professionals, cause we're not. <laughs> Well, first of all, you people out there haven't paid us anything yet. So until you pay us, we're not professionals. That's right. right? We're, we're <laughs> pra praise doesn't count because no. it, it doesn't pay the rent. No, it but, doesn't. <laughs> so we're so we're going to talk about that. Uh, uh, the eighty uh, started formed in 1980, ran for two seasons. Second season was a little bit shorter, and you know, as they said, it is a what was it? A world of savagery. Sorcery uh, and super science. Super science. That's, so. that's four S's in a row. That's pretty good. That's yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, the only thing I have, uh, two quick things about in the news, is one thing I did get, and yes, this w is available on the Goodman Games website. I got this 
the Metamorphous Alpha Collector's Whoa. Edition. Yeah. Dude, this thing is a f look. Okay, you know how big I am, six foot two. Yeah, your head's the size of a beer keg. Dude, this thing is a freaking monster, dude. It is a coffee table book. Everybody's like, I can't wait to use to play with it. It is way too big to use as your freaking rule book. Okay, it is way too big. Do they have a Do they have a PDF for your laptop or something? You can yeah, yeah. They gave, you, they gave you a PDF of the original. Dude, this is just the box. This is the box. It comes in to protect it, okay? Uh, yeah. L let me open the box. I'll, I'll need a little bit, okay? Well, <laughs> well, the box doesn't just it protects you from the radiation. It oh does. my God! Are we actually performing an unboxing on podcast at Ground Zero? Um. Yeah, I guess yes, we, we are. are. All right. Well, it's that season. It's yeah. The holiday. So give us an unboxing, sir. And it is this. The quality of this box is amazing. It is. I mean. Listen to that. It is thick. It is. It's. It's got to be as thick as a nickel. I mean, it is it's body armor. It is. It is really thick. Really going to protect your book well, and that's both of them. And then here's. Let me get the book out of the box. And here is the book itself. It does have a slip cover. Oh, it. it's a, and it's a hardcover book. And it's hard. It is hardcover. They're all hardcover. This is just the slip. Uh, the slip case. There are some leather-bound editions, uh, and there's also leather-bound with with like gold inlay on it. Uh, again, it, it, yeah. It's... But let me tell you, <laughs> what's the point of leather if you can't see this great cheesy 1978 artwork? I don't, I don't know. But again, this, again, this was an eighty-dollar Kickstarter, well worth every freaking penny. Because this is just a book. I got the dice. I got the wristband, and I'm getting a, a stack of booklets that are going to be coming that are at the printers now. Uh, uh, game resources: two, two adventures, one solo adventure, uh, 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 an armory guide, a mutant manual. There's like like six books you're getting. I mean, it is it is so it was so worth spending the money on it. Um, again, it will be available, and I'm going to take the even if I take the protective. Uh, the jacket off, which again has full, you know, stuff on the sleeves, and again has a nice cover still on it. Does actually have a nice uh, cloth bookmark built into it. Wow. Yeah, it it is. And then right on the inside cover there, look at that cross section of the, the warden. warden. The warden right there. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. That's hilarious. It's amazing because look, just by comparison. Here is the original Metamorphous Alpha book, okay? It's about, I don't know, about 15 pages, okay? <laughs> it's it's literally like 32 to pages long. This, this because this has in the beginning, it has, um, besides the amazing, it has like such amazing artwork, retro artwork um, throughout the book here. Uh, the beginning has, and it has, has a forward an introduction, it's got a history of Metamorphous Alpha, an interview with James Ward, it has the original publication, and then it has a ton of magazine articles printed in here, like from uh, Different Worlds magazine, uh, I think Polyhedron, Dragon magazine, it has uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, su supplementary material. Is the article How Green Is Your Mutant in there? Um, actually, I, th I looked and I don't think it is. Well, that's a shocker, because I could have sworn that was a Metamorphosis Alpha rather than a Gamma World article. From it was, it was Metamorphosis Alpha. Um, 
They didn't. Uh, I don't think they put it in there. New creatures adding. Maybe they called it adding color to your mutant. It was maybe under uh, supplementary material. Okay. But it's a, it's 128 pages plus it has the original playtest documents, and Ooh. and also these pages are thick. You think you are actually holding two pages? Thick material, excellent uh, production values. Why does this remind me of like where they've they've inscribed Dianetics onto? titanium sheets so it can never be destroyed so it'll be the final document to the human race this version of of metamorphosis alpha looks like it was designed to be the final surviving document of humanity and and, and as well, well I hear they're going to start putting it on deep space probes <laughs> they, they they should so there's a lot of old school like um Artists that came back that did work for this, like, um, who, well, who did all the stuff for like Chill, Paranoia? Uh, who did that? Um, who did a lot of that? I always forget his freaking name. Oh, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, it depends. There's one particular artist that I always associate with um, Paranoia. He did a lot of the covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I was forget. I always he also, he also did a lot of Game World, and I'm totally blanking on his name. I know. I, I always forget his Jim freaking... Holloway. Thank you, Holloway. Jim Holloway. Jim Holloway. Thank you. Yeah, he did a he did a lot of work in this. Um, what's really cool is they have the original playtest um documents in here. They freaking scanned them. His original playtest documents, like the They're actual like hand drawn maps and things. Hand drawn maps and the pieces oh. of paper. Printed in here, like they scanned them and printed them. Uh, it's it's an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, book. Nice and thick, well worth every penny. And you could get, you could still get this. You could actually get this on the uh, Goodman Games website. So it's not like it's one of those things. Yeah, you guys missed out on it. But you know, you, you, you the only thing you missed out on was the uh, the excellent uh, deal with all the add-ons like you got for for no for no additional cost. So yeah, it is. It is a fantastic book, a giant book. Again, everybody says I can't wait to play with it. I don't know how you're gonna play with this this monster. I'm gonna, I'm afraid to put it on the damn coffee table because I don't want it to get ruined. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, so I'll never put it there. But yeah, this came in, freaking amazing. Well worth every penny. It's. I mean, dude, I could you could kill somebody with this. So. That's our goal with any product. Yeah. So that that came in. And the only thing I think I wanted to make a comment on, because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this one, and I've posted about this, was I've seen the recent rounds of Mad Max Fury Road uh, trailers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and again, Scott knows I'm very finicky and picky about movies. I'm very... And, you, are, you are the Morris the Cat of post-apocalyptic films. Uh, of, any, of any films, period. Like, you know, like recently... I went because everybody said it was an amazing film. I went and saw Interstellar over the weekend. I wasn't as impressed as everybody made it out to be. It looked it looked amazing. It looked great. Don't get me wrong. I give it a four and a half out of five stars. But for the story, I'd maybe give it like a two and a half, maybe. Uh, here's the thing that you know. Here I got to tell you, this is going to sound weird, but the moment I knew I wasn't going to see it in the theaters was the moment where I learned that in the schools on Earth during this declining ecosystem biosphere, they're actually... Spoiler, spoiler alerts, everybody. Spoiler alert. 
they're actually teaching that the moon landing was a fake. Yeah. Now, that is so fucking crazy and stupid. I'm not buying it. My 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 sense of uh, you know believe, being able to believe in a dystopia where you can look up with a telescope and see the the, the landing sites on the moon that, that it is now policy by the American government to teach that we did not go to the moon. That was so stupid. I'm like, okay, I don't know. I I'm not I'm not seeing it in the theaters. Yeah. I'll I'll wait till it comes out on disc. Yeah, so I wasn't as pressed by it. But anyways, that was just my point of how I'm so everybody thinks I'm crazy, but Mad Max Fury Road, these trailers, I am so not putting anything into this movie. I'm just gonna try to go in as such a blank slate as possible because I'm already not liking it. Okay? And I, I don't that, uh, I, I don't, don't think I don't think that gas mask thing that's on the villain. You know the gas mask with the face on it. It yeah. looks. It, uh, does that look a little too cartoony to everybody? The whole thing looks too cartoony. Because all I know is, and again, it's blasphemy. Everybody's like, I can't wait to see this. I'm like, number one, the whole circus of bullshit. I can't fucking stand that. <laughs> I can't stand that. Okay. Yeah, the, the guys on poles going, wee. Yeah. yeah, that seems. That's the first kind of tactic that I would adopt during the post-apocalypse. <laughs> and then everybody, and how everybody, can we attach guys to, to sticks and bend them? Yeah, <laughs> and then you know everybody's like, it's just one big chase scene. Yeah, which is fine. Chase scenes are fine, but all I know is, are you sure who 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 did the, who directed this movie? It's still uh, George Miller. It's still George. Fucking, you sure Michael Bay Explosion didn't do this film? Okay. Well, here's why. Here's what puts me off watching the trailers. Number one, okay. The, the bad, head bad guy has that weird gas mask with these teeth and face, you know, on the gas mask, which look weirdly cartoony and not actually menacing. That's kind of a thing. Number two, um, my huge pet peeve of all time, so much CGI. I'm seeing enormous mm -hmm. amounts of CGI. When it was 1980-nothing, and they made Road Warrior and Mad Max... Uh, Road Warrior, uh, Mad Max 2, you know, and Mad Max. One of the things that was amazing about those movies is you watch stunts where people could and did get hurt doing those stunts. There's a couple of stunts that you see in those movies where you're like, see that? That's a guy bending the pin in his leg. He fucked up that stunt, and you're watching it on screen. That this shit is dangerous. That to cre create these effects is actually risking life and limb, you know? There's a, it's not just what a, a drawing, you know? And I'm seeing a lot of drawings, being a lot of cartoon explosions done digitally, and that, that automatically turns me off a little bit. But again, but on top of everything else, I don't know, man, Tom Hardy is not, it's Tom Hardy, right? The yeah. Actor, he is not, giving me anything except his sad face. <laughs> He's giving me his kind of weepy face the whole time. Just, you know, and I'm like, that is not what I want to see from Max Rokotansky, okay? I, I want to uh, say what you like about the crazy old anti-Semite 
Catholic weirdo that Mel Gibson has become, he fucking sold us Max. We believed in Max. He did not have a weepy face when nope. shit was going down. All right? Um, and I'm just, you know, that... <laughs> I always, One of my favorite moments, you know, is that thing where he's holding the fucking shotgun shell in his teeth and shooting the guy through the roof of the truck in, the, in, in, in Mad Max 2. That's what I want to see from Max, not, you know... I'm he just sad. He looks sad. He looks broken. He looks... He, he, he looks... I know. Uh, that, 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 that's just the tip of the iceberg. I said just all, like... All the, like you said, all the super CGI and cars being picked up in tornadoes and exploding and everybody's exploding in explosions and Michael Bay explosion, explosions everywhere. It's like, okay, you guys are fucking overdoing it just a little bit. When we watched all those crashes in the original Mad Max and Mad Max 2, uh, we saw some brutal, scary, shocking car impacts where, car, where cars were just smashed to ribbons and flew apart. Almost nothing blew up, you know, because cars don't blow up. All right, they're not made out of, they're not made out of uh, gelignite and and napalm. No. They're, they're made. I of tried to explain that to someone just the other day, and they refused to believe that cars don't just explode when they're on fire. Yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't. <laughs> but you know, when we watched that for those first two movies, we watched metal. Bend because of the impact of tons of steel against other steel, and it was that was that was entertainment, kids. So yes, yeah, so everybody, you know, everybody probably thinks we're crackpots, and I'm just like I'm I'm, I'm too cynical and jaded now, and it's, just, it's like it doesn't it's not exciting me anymore. And, but anyway, enough of that. So let's shut. I'm gonna shut up about that now. Let's move on to uh, Thunder the Barbarian. Okay? Well, let, in the oh, year 1994. What? I want to throw out two things that I saw recently. Okay, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. Uh, in the world of post-apocalypse. Um, number one, I saw the rover, finally. And um, there is, I cannot say enough good things about the rover. I thought it was a brutally uh, effective, brilliant film. Um, Guy Pierce. Now, Guy Pierce. Watching Guy Pierce in that movie, that's the face I want to see. On Max Rokotansky, not yeah. Tom Hardy's. I want to see that worn out, unattractive, hair all fucked up because he's been cutting it himself in the back of his car. You know, that nothing about his character was uh, was attractive or sexy or cool. But the intensity he brought to that where he's going to get his car back from the guys who took it. And, and uh, yeah. It was amazing, and the payoff when you when you get to the end, I I cannot give anything away. I cannot spoil that ending. It is so good, but when he's done, I'm like, yep, I I might have done the exact same thing. There might be just as many dead bodies. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I told you when I saw I saw in the theaters oh, a, a month or two ago that it was it was a great fucking film. Great yeah. film. Yeah. And it is much better than I expected it to be. Um, it's not quite post-apocalyptic. It's more of a dystopia, uh, or it's an, it's an apocalypse in progress. <laughs> but um, it's it, it's a story that doesn't have anything to do with the apocalypse or the conditions. It is a, it's a story that is maybe exacerbated by the conditions of this fucked-up world. It felt like it could have been taking place in Mad Max 1. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's it's that kind of level. But yeah. uh, and, uh, and what was the other thing you saw, Scott? I saw the Dead Two. Oh yeah, you told me. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, the Dead was one of the greatest reboots or reimaginings of the. Not even a reboot. It was classic slow Romero zombies. Classic slow shoot him in the head Romero zombies, and it was set in Africa, and it was shot in Africa on location, and uh, it was great. It had a bunch of African actors. Uh, they clearly went out and got a whole bunch of uh, guys in need of prosthesis and put them to work on the film, uh, doing the special effects. Uh, it's a really good, really ruthless film, uh, and it really made slow zombies terrifying again. The Dead. The Dead is a great film. The Dead 2 uh, is set in India, and I watched it, and it just didn't measure up to the original. Um, it wasn't just that it didn't do anything new, but it didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it took advantage of the country it was set in. Like the Dead One was set in an Af sub-Saharan African country, right on the edge of the desert. Uh, Scott here. Are you still good, Will? I'm doing fine. Am I? Okay, you're still good. Am I? Am I breaking up? Yeah, you broke up there for a second, and Will's like, I just see your face there, not moving. Okay. Are you moving now? Can you move your head from. Uh, yeah, now, now you're good. Okay. All right. So yeah, before we now, I'm getting suspicious. We're gonna crap out of here. So let's let's move on to uh, so right. the, de the dead, like Scott said, and I've seen it. Great, great uh, zombie flick in you know the sea of bad move ones. The dead too, according to Scott. Pretend it didn't happen, right, Scott? Yeah, just pretend, just see the dead. Never, just do not see the dead too. Okay, so uh, apparently in uh, 1994, a runaway planet hurls between the Earth and the Moon. <laughs> it certainly did. We we were all there. We all saw it. Um, I remember when the Moon got split in half. Uh, I, I love the, the Earth's fact cloud that, cover got stripped away. Yes, I I think that was the ozone layer leaving. Is what that might have been. Um, I love the fact that the, despite the fact that the moon is split in half at the beginning of Thundar, it doesn't create two moons. They're both kind of close together, like the well, the gravity, gravity, the gravity pulls each other back. It pulls it yeah, back. Yeah, so there's a sort of there's a sort of wad of broken moon going around the Earth. Well, and I was, love that that's consistent. I love that every nighttime scene you can see the two chunks of moon and some asteroids always in the sky. I, I want to say that there's an option in one of the mods for Fallout New Vegas where you can get a moon mod for Fallout New Vegas where the moon is split in half. Oh, no. <laughs> and, it, and it moves to the sky over. <laughs> and during the night, you get two pieces of moon with all the fragments. It, um, and there, there was a, there's a, uh, an 18-minute uh, documentary out there, or part of a larger documentary called Lords of Light. I posted it on the event page. And it is also uh, favorited on the YouTube channel. 18-minute documentary about the history and creation of the of the Thunder of the Barbarian cartoon. Very interesting. Well worth your time. And one of the creators did talk about that intro uh, and how good that intro is because that intro was like he said they said it was kind of like watching a, a, a mini film because you're watching the apocalypse happen. It's like it's like it's very cinematic. You know, it's like you're see you're seeing the whole event every time. So it's like a, a film within a film. And part of the yeah. thing, and part of the thing they talked about with the cartoon was that they wanted to aim at an older, 
uh, they didn't want to just make it like a kid car, like a total kid cartoon, like some of the earlier cartoons. They wanted to make it for uh, older kids, you know, like you know the older types. Which again, I guess targeted me because that came out in 1980. I was 11 when that started. You know, yeah, it, it, it felt like it was aimed at, 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 at uh, like 11 to 13, something like that. Yeah, those early preteens. And they said that even adults like because they talked about in that documentary how I guess there was a group of uh, guys at Stanford University who every Saturday they they gather together in, in a in front of a big TV and watch it, you know. <laughs> and anytime someone said "Lords of Light," they took a drink. <laughs> yeah. So uh, very again. So that's a good little documentary about the cartoon. Um, but yeah, and I said I love that cartoon back then. And they also because they they talk a lot about how. They went into. They wanted to do the whole. They give a whole history about the whole sword and sorcery thing, the history of it, and the foundation. The documentary is very good. If you guys have uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, watch it. Again, I've po it's it's easy to find. Called Lords of Light, uh, Thunder the Barbarian story. And they talk about how they wanted to bring it, but it is this this didn't want to do. Um, just sword and sorcery, but they wanted to add technology of it. They didn't they didn't want to go to the past. They didn't want to do an old cartoon about you know. The history, you know, like in the medieval times, they wanted to move forward. So that's how they combine the technology with it, you know, because you know, because it's got magic. It's almost kind of, you know, uh, very uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of wizards, you know, magic and technology. Yep, it's got that aspect to it, and uh, certainly wizards is what seventy what? Uh, seventy six, I want to say. Yeah. So it predate wizards predates it. Uh, it's got that smell like Robert E. Howard. It's got that smell of. Um, uh, of of that kind of Flash Gordon future. Do you know what I mean? A, a little bit like the future of Gamma World and uh, the future of the Fallout games where it's sort of that retro future. Well, the DNA of the pulps is all over this show, and you know, not just from the sword and sorcery angle, but from the from the 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 mutants, the the aliens, the the weird tech that keeps showing up. I mean, it's like the it's like they took. Everything they just scavenged everything they could from every angle of the pulps and synthesized it into this really awesome show. It all works together; nothing clashes. Well, for those of you out there who do not know what Thunder the Barbarian is, because we really haven't introduced it, Jared, what's the uh, what's the world setup for Thunder? What is the the setup of, of this world? Oh, it's a natural disaster. It. Um... You know, 1994, the world gets it's a, it's a you know it's and they talked about how they didn't want to do uh, a nuclear apocalypse because they thought it would scare the kid, it like a natural disaster, destroy the earth. Two thousand years later, the earth is reborn. So it's two thousand years after the destruction, and in the world is now there's mutants, there's humans, there's uh, hi, there's high technology, and there's sorcery back in the world. Like there's magic, and we could talk about how it's like. You know, is it really sorcery, or can we say it's mutant powers or technology? Maybe you know, we can maybe talk about that. You know, how is is it really sorcery? If if you have a problem with it being magic, and I do, that's one thing I have a problem with. I do have a problem with it being magic because I don't yeah. like I don't like magic apocalypses. Okay, I don't want I don't want freaking fairy dust and sorcerer's scrolls. Okay, so so you don't like wizards. Uh, all right. So I just um, <laughs> watch your mouth, Jared. Yeah. Okay. I, I. But again, I can I can explain that away with uh, you know uh, mutant powers. Um, 
you can explain, explain it away because you like Necron 99, and, you know, that's that's the end of that equation. Plus, Wizards has Wizards has Nazi mutants. So yeah. it's got that going for it. And who doesn't, if it wasn't cool enough killing Nazis and it wasn't cool enough killing mutants, booyah, Nazi mutants. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no reason. It's, it's literally Nazis plus orcs. You know, yeah. and Nazis honestly are the orcs of most modern fiction anyways. Yeah. So right, it's a perfect right. combination, you know. So right, you, I take it back. You're right. But I but I normally I but but seriously, I normally don't like Got it. Magic Got in a pot. I normally don't like. So with the Thunder thing, I'm kinda like because it's so you know, Wizards obviously it's it's millenniums, millenniums far Magic. Okay, I, all right. Okay, I could, I could, you know, I could buy that. But with Thunder, it's it's very post-apocalypse, high technology. So I'm like, why did they have to throw magic into it? Well, and again, you're right. I think you'd explain that away as, as mutant powers. I mean, for crying out loud, look at all the so-called magic in uh, Hero's Journey and the Unforsaken Hero. Yeah. Um, all their his 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 post-apocalyptic mutant run world is extremely. Magical. I mean, it's it's very fantasy. Yeah. So, and we bought it, and we 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 love those stories. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so Thunder is sitting in that world. It's um, you know, you got you got Thunder the Barbarian. You know, he's he ain't stu He's not a stupid barbarian. He's he's smart, and he's a man. He's a he's kind of a he's a barbarian of principles. You know, he's got uh, ethics. You know, he's a code of honor. He's a freedom fighter. Yep. Yeah, do they ever explain where he was captured from before he started off as a slave and led a slave revolt? Uh, uh, what, what I've only read was, and I've never seen the episodes, I, I rewatched about 15 of the 21 episodes before the show, and they never really explain it. They do show it to you in the beginning, the rolling credits of him breaking his chains, because apparently uh, Thunder and Ukla, and uh, well, let me explain the other three characters. Yeah, you have Princess Ariel, who was a princess of something? Her stepfather was an evil wizard, and she helped Thundar escape and gave him the Sun Sword, which is basically everybody says it's a lightsaber. I always saw it as a vibroblade. Gamma World, because Gamma World was out before fucking Star Wars, and it had yeah. fucking and it had fucking light swords. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, they did. So to me, it's a to me it's a light sword. It's a light. It's a vibroblade. Um, she helped them escape. Now she is intelligent. Well read, educated, understands the history, and she's a sorceress. And you have Ukla, who's a it's a, it's a mock. A mock is like a uh, a cat a race of people. Growls very strong. They hate her um, because they said that they needed a the whoever was making it said they wanted a we need a we need a uh, you know a, a Wookie type character. So they made Ukla the mock. So apparently, Ukla and Thundar. Were you know, he he looks a little bit more like the original. Ralph McQuarrie test drawings of Chewbacca. Yeah. yeah. You know, some of the early drawings of him, you're like, ah, that was, that doesn't seem cuddly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So they escaped from the wizard. Uh, she gave him the sun sword. And, you know, now he goes about fighting, you know, for, for freedom, you know, throughout the world. And throughout, and then in this world, uh, there is, apparently there's wizards. There's a lot of wizards, you know, and they rule areas. Because uh, there's like a council, there's a council of wizards. They all have their, their little thiefdoms. They're always fighting, always trying to get more powers. And 
Apparently, humans are freaking bugs because they're always trying. They're always enslaving humans. Humans are always like in rags, groveling in mud huts. Okay, so particular humans in this world, except you know you have there's other barbarians besides him. There's other sorcerers. There's um, a lot of mutants. Mutant races. There's like gator people and monkey people, and there's rat people. There's gr rat people. There's uh, every, grizzly. Every, everything that can be uplifted to a bipedal thumb having technological <laughs> yep. yeah, has been. You know, everybody's got thumbs now, and everybody's got a forge and a sword and chainmail and the occasional ray gun too. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, they have ray guns. Uh, there's like grizzly snakes. Like these giant furry snakes with grizzly heads, you know. They they are just like oh, they are so over the top with their creatures, you know. But it's 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 cool. Again, I'm 11 years old, you know. Uh, oh I well, over the top. Come on, Gamma World has rabbits that turn metal into rubber. What are you talking about? That's that's standard. <laughs> that's, that's standard. So. Uh, I wasn't that worried about the monsters on fucking Thundar. Oh, after no, 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 no. after going worried. through the, 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 the creatures at the back of Gamma World, this was tame. This oh, was yeah. tame. Well, I'm saying it's 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 on that uh, along the same line, so I was kind yeah. of already you know acclimated to it. So again, to me, it was totally Gamma World. Uh, the wizards, you know, they have their their magic, plus they have they use a lot of high technology too uh, on top of it, and they're always trying to get more powers. And that's the basic uh, world setup. And every episode, they're encountering some kind of wizard who's trying to enslave. It's very, but then again, you, they tried to make it for older kids. But again, you get into the standard Saturday morning cartoon, you know, uh, formula. You know, it's like, okay, what's what's the story of the week? Who are we gonna fight this week? Um, you know, this wizard, that wizard. They've enslaved this. We gotta help this person. Again, very standard. You know, it's a script. But again, it's a Saturday morning cartoon, so we, we can't expect you know high art out of it, but but I loved it, and I still love it to this day. It's still a fantastic, and it is available on DVD that you can get on uh, Amazon, the Warner Brothers Archive. It's four discs, all 21 episodes, and it's not uh, mass production DVDs. They're print-on-demand DVDs. Basically, they they make they make them as they need them. Uh, so but, there's no the documentary. Is the documentary on there? No, this is just just the episodes. Just all the right. episodes. Um, now it does say a Hanna Barbera classic cartoon, classic collection on this, which is again is wrong because Hanna Barbera didn't do it. Ruby Spears did this. Well, what happened is that the Turner Broadcasting Company bought both Hanna Barbera and Ruby Spears and oh. all their assets. And because Hanna Barbera is the big name, several things produced by other studios that got pulled into this buyout have been released as like Hanna Barbera classic collections. Uh -huh. Gotcha, because it has the name. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I wanted to point out that one of the things that hooked me. Uh, about the cartoon, well, uh, it had it had enough violence to keep me entertained, but it, it, it I don't believe they ever killed anybody on the show. No, nope. that's they never killed they never killed anybody. Um, the one standout for me that did kill people, I always remember like really standing out as a cartoon people got killed on was that uh, same time period that Flash Gordon. Oh yeah, the Flash Gordon that uh, Lou Scheimer did. Yeah, they they killed some guys on that, and that kind of blew my mind. That um, I'm, as a kid, they're like, "Whoa, hey, that was a fatality. Let's have more of that." Um, 
But uh, no one ever gets killed on it because it is gonna, again, it's it's still Saturday morning cartoon. But uh, the creature design and the villain designs uh, are by Jack Kirby. Um, oh yeah, the, the king. One of the, one of the great uh, designers for uh, uh, characters and critters uh, and, and artists for, I guess it's Marvel, was, was where uh, he had his own. Yeah, he, he really became famous at Marvel when he and Stan Lee did Fantastic Four, and then in the 70s, he uh, moved over to DC uh, and worked with DC up, uh, I think, until the 80s. Yeah. Fantastic, he did Fourth World. Fantastic Four is one I always remember the most. And, and, and well, they the, also... And a lot of the critters, including um, who's the villain who's got the two faces? Uh, Janice. Gemini. Gem Gemini. Gemini. Okay. Gemini. Gemini. Definitely. I will kill you. You know, he has that, that kind of sing-songy voice. It tells his face turned that he talked really mean. You know. Thank I'll God. get that barbarian. <laughs> I, I always preferred the the the, dark, the 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 more bass voice than the squeaky nasal voice. I'm never afraid of the nasal guys. It always bothered me when Skeletor had that voice. Wow, you know, yeah, exactly. He sounds like Doctor Smith on Lost in Space. Who's afraid of Doctor Smith? Also, Alex Toth worked on it as well. Yeah, that was the guy who did the main design for Space Coast. Yeah, did the main design for the main characters. Didn't Toth also do Herculoids, or am I just smoking crack? He may have that. They all have a very Herc. They all have a very Alex Toth look. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh. And so and so between these two guys being involved, who are both really great, really evocative illustrators, who who managed to make things, you know, create these really interesting looks, at least to me. At the same time as being a little bit, oh God, you know, almost minimalist, you know, in in their illustrations. Um, yeah, they're so I'm, striking, but they're so easy to animate. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of describing it. They're striking and 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 yet easy to animate. Um, oh, they they well, did, and, 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 the and it, were designed by Alex. Yeah, and they and they talk about in the documentary the animation style about how they. Did the animation? How a lot of animations they did a lot of stuff off scenes, but they tried to push the limits of you know trying to show stuff happening. And they're like every line you put down costs money, and they were trying to really work within budgets, but they wanted to make it stand out more so than other stuff. Yeah. So um, the guys who are behind the production created some really interesting looks that you know got my attention as a kid. Um, and again, you know, it was the uh, it was the sort of the combination of the familiar and the unfamiliar. We created this world full of crazy mutants and whatnot. But, boy, every episode, they show you something familiar from our time. Well, that, that, was, part of their, that was part of their methodology about how they wanted to people to be identify and understand it. So visual uh, cues was a big part of the show because they would show, you know, if they were in D.C., if they were in California, St. Louis, they would show visual cues so people would say, ah, okay, they're in New Orleans. I understand that. I remember, I know New Orleans. So they, they, they do a lot of visual cues of things from the past to show that they're still in this world. That was a big, big thing. 
it grounded the show and, and makes everything that happens in it just that much more believable because it's taking place in an actual space that yeah. you have seen either because you've yep. been there or you've seen uh, the pictures. And they go even further. There's there's an episode where a sorcerer animates the Statue of Liberty and it goes on a rampage blasting fireballs out of its torch. That's uh, that's actually I think the first one uh, was it the curse yeah. of the, the curse of the black pearl, where uh, and that was Gemini as well. Yeah, who uh, they banish, but he comes back later on to you know revenge. He's he's a he's a nemesis that comes back at least once uh, in the episode because again every wizard's trying to fight each other. I was always pleased by the fact that they left America a couple of times. Yes, they, they got down into Mexico and Central America and they London. got to London and London. London. And they got to London at least once. Yeah, um, who knows how they got there? <laughs> obviously, they went through the the Transmat and the Redoubt, right, Jared? Oh yeah. Uh, locations: New York City, uh, the Yucatan, Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico, Cape Canaveral, uh, unknown North North Hope, Virginia, Rent Mount Rushmore, D.C., Las Vegas, California. San Fernando, Alaska, San Antonio, San Francisco, the Grand Canyon. St. Louis, Boston, London, Central America, uh, again, Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, and Atlanta, Georgia are some of the known locations that they've uh, uh, okay, been to. Okay, i got, I got to ask. Did you see the episode uh, where they went to San Antonio? Uh, the Alamo? Yeah, because it says they went back to the past. So I'm curious, did they go back to... Um, that, is, that, that episode is porthole in, the Porthole into Time. So my question is, when they went back to the past, was it the the past, like 1982 past, when they were when they when the show was released, or was it the future past? You know what I mean? It was did they go back into the past, and it was still futuristic because the Earth hadn't been smashed by the passing comet yet. I mean, no, I it, was, it was it was it was 1980. Okay, darn it, because I was so hoping that it, we'd get a glimpse of the future. In the past, you know. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? well, also in that episode, which is funny again to do the tie in the whole um, pulp and barbarian thing is, you know what? You know what the evil wizard's name was in that episode? Crom. Thank you, Crom. The evil wizard Crom threatens a tribe of humans at the Alamo. Crom. Okay. Yep. C R O M. Crom. Yep. Wow. Okay. Thank Crom, it's Friday. Although they uh, did have some cool names. I love Mind Doc. The Mind Menace. Oh, oh, yes. yeah, that's the one where it's uh it's the thing from the it's the it's the thing that was actually alive when the apocalypse happened. It's like a is it a brain in a jar? What is uh the mind menace? Or I thought he was like he was like a corpse in like a suspended animation tube is how I remember yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, something no, like no, that. No, 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 yeah, no, it was the uh, the uh Mendoc the Mind Menace. They go to Cape Canaveral, uh, Florida, because he apparently was alive when the apocalypse happened, and he was able to save his brain in this kind of, uh, I guess, this machine. But it was all that kept his brain alive. So over two thousand years, he became very powerful. But so I don't know why it took him two thousand years, but he wanted to build a, a, a robot body to house his brain, so he's not just this floating uh, jetpack thing. And it's like, why did it take him 2,000 years to do that? So, uh, so I, Look, man, um, when we went to Point Lookout and we found that guy's brain under the lighthouse, we didn't ask any hard questions like that. We just blew up the brain. 
Oh, okay. So, but, but, but they go to Cape Canaveral because at Cape Canaveral are the ice people. And he wants to find the ice people to build him a robot body. And those are basically some scientists that were in suspended animation in Cape Canaveral, Florida. I gotta so they, tell you, that's really sexy to me. That the idea that you find the primitives who've got who find the the hyper, you know, the, the hyper oh, yeah. sleep chambers and refer to them as the ice people. That really works. Oh yeah, there there's so. Go ahead, Will. Oh, I actually I actually used this episode as the inspiration for part of a Gamma World campaign. That's and, the right answer. That's yeah, the right answer all, for every episode. It was all in Florida, and there were these there were these relig two religions. One religion worshipped these frozen scientists in Cape Canaveral, and the other religion worshipped the cryogenically frozen head of Walt Disney. Nice. And they were always fighting for limited supplies of liquid nitrogen, which was used to keep the, the freezing systems working. It was fantastic. Yes, that is the right answer. <laughs> yes, if you do not have an army of, of moldy, damaged, animatronic, you know, Hall of Presidents robots fighting the players in the ruins of Disney while the frozen head of, of Walt Disney, you know, Urges them on to find the you know to to root out communism and Jews because that would be Walt Disney. <laughs> well, well, actually, I actually I had that. I had super strong robot presidents and robot bears, but also the people in the animal character costumes are actually prisoners yes! who were lobotomized and sealed into the suits. Yes, yes, that is exactly right. This, I, I look, man. I lived in I lived in Orlando, Florida, for 18 years, uh, in the shadow of the mouse. That is everything we feared was actually happening at Disney. Oh, it is. You know, <laughs> you know, we just figured that like out in the swamps around Disney, that's where they released the uh, the you know the animatronic you know, the the, the walkarounds and the in the costumes. Yeah, those aren't costumes. Those are just genetic experiments and the. The, the ones that didn't work out as well, they just released them into the swamps. You know, to, to, oh, spe speaking of genetic experiments, because that's, again, there is there was so much cool subject matter that they touched on in Thunder of the Barbarian, besides, you know, the frozen people, uh, you know, going back in time, you know. Um, there was also, there's one episode, it was like uh, uh, the layer of the sleeping demon or something like that. Basically... There was this wizard who, like, there's a sleeping demon in this valley, and they and they have to find, uh, they like this wizard's trying to find this demon because apparently he finds the demon. It's supposed to give him untold magical powers. So they find this hospital, and hospital, it's a place where sick people would get, you know, would get well. Um, that was, that's a lot of what happened in the show is because they would like, Ariel, would, Ariel was always that source of knowledge. Of, of things from the past, and and you know, Thunder wasn't just—he wouldn't blow things off. He would be like, he would ask questions. What is this? You know. But he did and, not have the book learning. We're not saying he, he had the book learning. He didn't have the book learning, and like whatever brute strength couldn't solve, she would help solve. Anyway, so they go to the hospital, and apparently there's like this owl, humanoid owl creature there that they wake up, that they uh, that they uh, wake up by, because the guy, you know, you know how he figured out how to do it. To wake it up because he had a copy of fucking Frankenstein in his arm, and he hooks up this whole electricity thing, and the electricity, the lightning hits, and it wakes up the sleeping demon, and it has these dog tags, and basically it was just a genetic experiment pre pre apocalypse. It was like this winged owl humanoid thing, 
and it wasn't a demon at all. It wasn't a mutant. It was just a genetic experiment. But they were they thought it was his legend. They thought it was giving power. So they really touch on a lot of this cool concepts and a lot of good concepts for any kind of post-apocalyptic uh, gaming, Gamma World or whatever whatever your flavor is. You know, yeah, that's cool. Um, uh, I, I, that's the that's the part that I like is where you know it's it's characterized as a demon or it's characterized as um, sorcery, but it's it's not. I mean. Uh, I know that there's an episode, there's at least one episode where they're digging up pre-war military technology, like missiles or something, or, uh -huh. um, what's the one that, what was it, um, uh, what's the one that, was it torpedoes that they were trying to salvage from a, from a Navy base? Was it, uh, Raiders of the Abyss? I don't remember. Nope, um, I'm looking at the episode list, it's Treasure of the Mox. Um, it's the uh, Mox versus some uh, river pirates who are trying to salvage torpedoes from a navy base. And um, oh, and isn't their 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 pirate ship is basically this giant wood construct that has like parts of an old battleship on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's fucking cool. That, yeah. All the kind of post the themes and the ideas that come out in the show are so cool and they're so rich. And there's it, it is it's you could it's just ripe for a post-apocalyptic world. But it is a specific it's for a specific kind of post-apocalypse. It has to be that kind of post-apocalypse yeah. where we've journeyed so far beyond the apocalypse. Yeah. That the apocalypse is now a legend. The apocalypse yeah. is now a myth, a, a war between the gods. You know that we that Ragnarok has happened, and that this stuff that's left behind are the weapons of the gods. You know, it's it's it, it has a mythic quality to it. Um, same thing with all the, you know, it, it's it's again here unrequited hero, Gamma World, uh, definitely fall into that um, that category. E, uh, Eternity Road doesn't really because Eternity Road never really gets beyond rationality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Eternity Road was always about. Uh, people who understood and explored their post-apocalyptic world rationally, but you know, this stuff—it's uh—it's a little bit down to gods and monsters and you know magic, and that really worked. Oh, something I wanted to to point out that, uh, and this connects to uh, Treasure of the Mox and uh, the River Pirates with their awesome cobbled together boat. Uh, the villain in that one was Captain Cordon, Queen of the River Pirates. Thundar the Barbarian uh, had more good female characters, both heroes, villains, allies, and otherwise, than I than I think any other show of its era. Yeah, you're uh, right. And really, going up through the '90s. Well, yeah. it's always it's always good when you you've got a Female villain who's actually, you know, uh, well, you know, uh, 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 actually a physical threat as opposed to, you know, get them, you know. Oh no, they were very strong characters, and Ariel was a very strong character. She wasn't just like ah, she wasn't the wave. She she held her own. You know, Thunder was always very, you know, you know, he was a bit, you know, like oh, we must protect her, and she's like I can protect myself, you know, because she saved. You know, he saved her bacon, but she saved his bacon quite a few times as well. You know, she she's very strong, standalone character. You know, she's not she's smart, she's knowledgeable, she knows things. You know, and she and she can hold her own. Is it my imagination? I could never quite tell from the um, uh, whether or not she was meant to be Asian. Uh, well, you know what what her ethnicity was because I kind of thought that Asian. I kind of thought that they meant for her to be something other than a non-Caucasian character for a change. 
I, I always read her as being uh, like uh, like Indian, like from Bombay. Well, uh, I think it's supposed to be more Asian because there's an episode where they're in old Chinatown, and she says. Oh, this this is an old Chinatown that would have been in many old Earth cities, and my ancestors came from a place like this. Okay, cool. Bingo. Um, and so I, I also appreciate the fact that it wasn't just the standard cookie-cutter, you know, team of white guys uh, doing white guy things, a.k.a. <laughs> the, the Herculoids, the Thundercats. White, guy, white guys doing white guy things. I mean, you know, Space Ghost, it's all a bunch of honkies just honking around. Is, is, is that kind of like the high-fiving white guys? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. You know, the Sharia law says you're supposed to chop off hands when they steal, but I'm thinking the high-five might be. That might be what you're supposed to chop people's hands off for. Holy crap. And, sp and speaking of uh, role-playing games with Thunder, there's actually there's two that I know of iterations where people have made have done settings for Thunder the Barbarian with role-playing games. There's the, the first one that came out was in I believe it's under a website called Under the Broken Moon, where they did a Thunder the Barbarian world using the uh, over the edge rules. Wow, over the edge. Yes. Wow, that is a really excruciatingly rules light yep. um, system uh, for for a game where you're supposed to punch and or ensorce or zap your problems away. Yeah. Okay. So that was the first one, and then there's a second one, which was put out using uh, the uh, what was it, the Savage Afterworld for Mutant Future Rules. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think that one's a little more recent, within the last few years. Um, I could find it. It was. Uh, um, I have to look. I'll, I'll look that up and I'll post that. But yeah, both. I'll post. I'll post both of them in, in the uh, in the event page. But yeah, it was a uh, Savage Worlds. It was. Uh, they use Mutant Future. So those are two uh, RPGs that they uh, use that for. And there's there's just a lot of stuff out there. Uh, a lot of materials. Um, People talk about. Uh, I mean, I'm always seeing. I mean, uh, 2004. I think uh, somebody, uh, Toonami, I think put out, or, or I think that who it was, put out some Thunder the Barbarian action figures. They put out, you know. They, yes, they, they did. You're right. It's really recently. In fact, let's go ahead and go to the. Um, I think it was 2004 or five. They put them out. I think it was four. And uh, they put out the, you know, uh, Thunder yeah. and Ariel. And then uh, right, it was Toynami. It's two thousand and four, which is funny. And that's hilarious to me that, that the action figures get released before the the DVD does. Yeah, well, the DVD was just, uh, the last like through. I think the two thousand nine they did that, and then there you know there was you know there was of course a slew of uh, you know there's merchandise back you know in the eighties. There was actually there was a Thunder the Barbarian board game that was out there that uh, was there. Out. Yeah, there was. Now I, know uh, what to, now I know what to get you for Christmas. Oh, thank you. And then, uh, as well as, you know, there was a standard, uh, you know, lunchbox and thermos, you know, uh, was out there. Thermos! Uh, I, I, I want to say it how, you know, um, the, what, you know the, the, nerd, the nerdy cat. Did, uh, I, got, I got my thermos, you know, how he said it in that one fucking episode. Wait, Dibley! Dwayne, Dwayne Dibley, that's it. I got my thermos. But, oh, um, my God. I've yeah. got I've got sandwiches, my thermos, and a condom because you never know. Thank you, Will. Um, 
I'm the man to come to for Red Dwarf quotes. Yes. Apparently. It's like, I, I, I watched it a lot when it, was, when it aired uh, late 80s, early 90s on PBT, but apparently not as much as you have. So. All right, I gotta ask, all right, Will, when, uh, when uh, this is your Red Dwarf question, when they eject the coffin for Ace Rimmer in the, uh, in the episode where they take, uh, what's his name, off the show for a, uh, a while, when they eject the Ace Rimmer coffin into the uh, black hole and it ends up in orbit, and you see the graveyard, I gotta, did you bust out into tears or not? I did not bust out into tears, but I like that they gave real gravitas to that scene. It was a very yeah. touching scene. Yeah, when they back off and the, the graveyard is now a ring around a world, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, that's an amazing image. That's they, That scores 10 out of 10 for a ridiculous, ridiculous little British show. But hey, you know, these, are the, these damn Brits, they brought us Survivors and uh, Blake 7. Yes. Blake Seven. There's just um, no, there's no end to their perfidity. Which I, 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 I wish Blake Seven was a post-apocalyptic story um, uh, uh, series because I'd love to talk about that. But um, <laughs> we know it is the dead set. We could talk about that in a future episode. Oh yeah, that's their zombie uh, miniseries. You know what, sir? Considering what Earth looks like, I'm not quite sure it's not post-apocalyptic. Yeah, um, that's that's true. Yeah, you know, Blake Blake's Earth looks pretty done in. Uh, by whatever century it is, but nope, sadly, it's not. It's not post-apocalyptic enough. And now, and one of these, other, something else that was floating around on eBay, which pops up every once in a while, it's the same guy. He's he's selling these. Um, he's he must be you know printing them out himself, which is fine. Uh, he has some production sheets because I doubt these are all the original ones, and some early adverts. And he's been selling them on eBay, and I actually picked them up recently. So it has like you know print copies of original you know. Uh, Thundar, you know, uh, you know, little adverts, you know, that they would get handouts. You know, they would have oh stuff for the magazine advertising, magazine ads, or like the handout, for like you know, when pep. Plus, it, it also the pack had some, you know, uh, some of these different production sheets, you know, of the different positions of the uh, of the characters, character sketches. You know, like how to draw them, and these are just a couple because there's like there's like I've seen even more online because they really wait, wait 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 what what was Oogla's Oogla never got a horse Oogla got some what? E the court E Q U A R T the reptilian sort of drag dragon like horse okay there it is folks the E courts got it E court you know so they had you know there's a ton of this stuff out there. Uh, there's other ones, you know. There's all the villains. There's colors, uh, and of course, there's. Uh, and I told these guys, it's probably not real, but apparently, somebody did a. There's a nude one of Ariel where it shows her boobies, and oh <laughs> I've seen that. That looks like somebody tweaked a uh, character turnaround in Photoshop. I don't. Ca <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't care. I, I still. I still was grateful for it, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you're you're revealing too much. I know, but uh, but it's out there. And then also two other things that came in this pack, and these look like, these are, these look like coloring book pages almost. And I would love to color them in. Oh, but, if uh, I was a kid, I would have eaten up a Thunder coloring. Oh yeah. Oh, there. Here's this this one, and this one, which is going to get framed. Gonna, I'm going to put a simple frame and put this on the wall right here. Classic. Oh, yeah. That. That's going on the wall, the wall of fame. 
you know, probably somewhere near the Gamma World poster. I gotta ask, um, what's the time frame reference between Thundar and um, He-Man: The Masters of the Universe? Because uh, it, 83, 84, I'm gonna say. I'm, I always thought that that that, that He-Man looked a hell of a lot like. Oh yeah, yeah. Thundar. Now maybe it's just because they both use that sort of Prince Valiant haircut that Conan has. Yeah. I mean, you read it in the stories, Conan's got this very, you know, bowl cut, straight sides, almost, you know, Prince Valiant haircut in the stories. Um, and some of that shows up in the comics that are illustrated by, oh, shit, um, was it Frank, Frank Thorne? Was that who did uh, some of the Conan stuff? Thorne? who went on to do Red Sonja. I believe he did some Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, you know, uh, He-Man seems to have some of that on him. So maybe they're just, maybe uh, He-Man is stealing from the same well rather than... Oh, I'm, from, I'm sure. Rather than stealing directly from Thundar. All right, folks, I just posted on the event page the, uh, the Under the Broken Moon, the... Uh, over the Edge rules, uh, RPG, and the one from Savage Afterworld. I posted those up nice. there, uh, folks, for you. But yeah, and also another interesting things that they um, that are mentioned, and I've seen people talk about was the Sun Sword. Is again, you know, everybody says it's a lightsaber. I more think it's a vibroblade from uh, Gamma World, because which is again out before Star Wars. Um, one of the things with that sword is number one, it only worked for Thundar. Like, other people couldn't use it. They tried to use it. It wouldn't work for them. Only he could activate it. So, again, people say it was the magic in it. Or we could just say it had some kind of, you know, fingerprint tech, you know, like you could do with, a like... A genetic uh, lock, maybe? Genetic there lock. See? I can, I, we, can, we can explain away a lot of this. Nanites! Magic. We can explain everything with nanites. It's all, it's all nanites. And, um, <laughs> and what was interesting about it, too, is that he could deflect... Um, magic, laser beams, he could cut through things, but a lot of times when he would hit living objects, it wouldn't do anything. Like if he would like hit somebody with it, it it has no effect on him, but then he could like cut a, you know, a 10 foot thick steel door in half without thinking about it. So it was interesting how it wouldn't harm living flesh, but it could deflect uh, you know, inanimate objects cut things. You know? Well, my, you know, if I'm writing that, I, I immediately turn it into uh, that the, the, the sun sword is actually some sort of industrial tool with a safety feature built into it. Like, you know, it, this is like something that somebody would have used it as a construction tool with this extra safety feature so you can't chop your own fingers off while using it, but you can cut metal and you can, you know, inter, you know it, it can deflect oh, yeah. or inter, interfere with with energy, but then you try and hit flesh with it, like it wouldn't work, which would kind of be hilarious because you'd hit a guy with the sun sword and his chain mail would be cut in half and just fall off. His yeah. clothes would fall off, but he'd be fine. You could chop the gun in half, you know. And oh, yeah, he, yeah he would cut, he cut weapons in half all the time. But That would be, be kind of hilarious if it was like some, you know, uh, black, it's a really a Black & Decker energy chainsaw. <laughs> The, with the special feature, if you were at S-Mart buying it from from Bruce Campbell's Ash, uh, you know he would explain the safety features of the Black and Decker, you know, energy chainsaw to you, guaranteed not to dismember your friends or family, you know. 
well, uh, some other things about the the Sun Sword, and this I got uh, the magazine, uh, the fandom magazine Film Facts had a really awesome article several months ago about Thundar the Barbarian and how it came about. And part of the reason the show ended up with the, the Sun Sword, well, one, it is a very cool weapon. But the other reason was at the time the networks were getting really paranoid about a backlash against like depictions of violence on on television, and so the way they decided to sort of nip that in the bud is like, well, it's got a barbarian, he's got to have a sword. We will just make sure that it's not a real weapon. We will just make up a crazy fictional awesome weapon, and then that'll that'll then we don't have to worry about the net, keep getting content notes from the network saying, well, you know, the kids might find a real sword and might cut each other with it. Yeah, because kids never make swords out of anything they find. A stick, the family, the cat, the pillows off the couch. You know, you know, you know, what, I, you know what I used to use for freaking swords? Uh, I don't know if they had them up in Orlando, Scott, but they had like, there was like these, I guess it was off the palm trees or some, some tree. Oh, yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. The palm fronds, you strip all the fronds No, off. not the palm fronds, but there was like these other like, it was like this other like, Stick that would come off the trees it was maybe this long, and like there was some. It was like it was like these thin whip-like little sticks that are about you know I don't know maybe maybe a meter long, and you know like it came off a tree and there was some things on the other end but least scale, but it wasn't a palm frond stick. But it was like the they were everywhere at least down in yeah. South Florida. And, and we had one. I remember uh, like a uh, when I was maybe six or seven, whatever school I was in. Uh, had a tree like that in the playground, and so naturally the guys all went and got a weapon. Oh yeah, for, yeah. for recess, and then it all became, <laughs> you know, then it all became I don't know, Robin Hood, or Ivanhoe, and the Three Musketeers, or whatever we were doing at that age, because I don't think we quite had Star Wars hadn't quite arrived yet. It all turned into lightsabers in 1977, but <laughs> before then it was you know D'Artagnan or something. But yeah, we yeah I remember that too. But they um, we will turn anything into weapons, people. That's all there is to it. Exactly. So that was one thing about the show about the cancellation uh, because we talk about the violence is that um, they were talking about it because it wasn't like the show didn't have good ratings. The show had good ratings, but the, the networks felt it was too violent. Yeah, even so they, even as as reined in as it was, they thought it was too violent because they were because. Ukla was the master of using the environment. He would oh. he would he would throw cars. There's this one where he pulled this. It was like a, I guess a ball and chain from a, like a wrecking ball. Pulled one off and like rolled it down an alleyway to knock over a bunch of robots. You know, yeah. Gird, girders. You name it. You know he um, he was he was he was hitting things with it. You know. <laughs> well, it's funny that his tone is as running back in as it is. Uh, it is a cartoon, though, where every episode they fucked somebody up. Oh, yeah, they, shit, was, they, shit was getting messed they, up. You know, heaven forbid you were a robot because then you were totally getting smashed or blown up. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah. you're done. Done. If you're a wizard, don't send your robot minions because they're not coming back. You you send some guys. Maybe they'll come back a little bruised up, but robots aren't going to come back. And they, they blew some shit up and knocked some shit over every single episode. So I can see why... Uh, you know the networks would get a little wimpy about that. Yeah. But. Now, Will, you you were saying that you found some stuff about some production shots about uh, about uh, the undone third season. Yes, this was uh, this was also 
actually in that same article from Film Facts. Uh, there, they had begun work on a third season, but you know, again, the show got canceled, so nothing was ever actually animated. But they had some story outlines, and they had some new character designs. And apparently, one of the things they were preparing for the third season is that Thundar, uh, Ariel, and Ukla were going to go into outer space. And there's an awesome Jack Kirby character design of the spacesuits they were going to use. They were like the suits themselves look kind of like high tech versions of what NASA was using at the time with this kind of neat both both 1950s and 1980s looking jetpack on the back. So they were going to go into outer space for something. Maybe they were going to land on the shattered moon or, or take down a satellite, but that was going to be a big part of, of the next there's, season. There's only one reason you take jetpacks to the shattered moon, and that's so you can have an opportunity to leap from one piece of the moon across the giant chasm to the other piece of the moon. That shit oh, that nice. kind of has to happen. If you're going to go to the shattered moon, at some point you're going to end up backed up to a cliff or whatever and have to jump from one moon to the other. I, I don't think there's any way around that. Now, uh, now, Will, is this a, is this a print uh, a magazine or is this something we could find online? Uh, it, is, uh, it is a print magazine. I will try to track down the issue number and post it, uh, post okay. it to the uh, podcast at Ground Zero page. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd be interested to uh, to see if I could try see that track that down. So it's a fantastic article. Well, you've got you've got Jerry's attention. Besides going into space, besides the uh, illustrations of the um, uh, spacesuits, is there anything else from the article that that jumped out? Were they plan? They weren't planning to like bring in another character or, or uh, uh, aside. Aside from being Gemini back to sort of cement him as, as Thundar's nemesis, no, there there were no, there weren't going to be any change ups to the cast. Like it's a formula that worked, and they were just going to keep using it. I think, actually, I think they were going to send. I there was a, a tr uh, an outline for an episode where I think they were going to send Thundar to Japan or at least someplace in Asia. They were going to go. They were going to leave the American continent at least one more time. Okay. Uh, that's cool. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of amused that they're going to bring Gemini back because I, uh, you know. Well, uh, he, well, I, he did. Well, he did come back in a later episode, disguised to try to seek revenge on Thundar. So he'd been back at least once in the uh, series. So bringing him back again because he see he just struck me as yeah, he's the big bad guy who he has to keep on fighting. You know, he does. Yeah. He does. He does well, it's a kind of genre that requires a nemesis. That requires a reoccurring villain. That you will be you will be matching wits and and strengths with you know at least once a season. Oh yeah, so and they, they, Stothamon. Yeah, and there's always they're always fighting against the wizards. You know, you know they they enslave them to do a race for them. These wizards to run this battle to find the helmet of power, which was hidden in the Hoover Dam. You know, of course it was. Uh, how'd they get past the NCR? <laughs> oh, stop! But. Uh, I apologize. I've been I've been playing Fallout New. Games. Uh, again, but um, I, I'm still playing my retarded playthrough. I, I took a character with a, like a really super low intelligence, and it does give you a whole bunch of different dialogue options. And oh, wow. I've gone through and just consistently picked the stupidest thing I can say <laughs> in every situation. Wait, what game are you talking about? Fallout wow. Fallout New Vegas. Oh yes. They actually have a, a a way to do a stupid playthrough where you can you can take a stupid character and it gives you a whole bunch of unique uh, playthrough options. There's a lot of times that people are going, 
oh, I see, you're one of them special fellers, you know. Um, uh, there's actually, actually the whole the whole thing about turning the um, turning the uh, solar powered station on is the the uh, the the Helios One station. You know, all your dialogue options are like me make shiny juice go shiny juice go now. It's just <laughs> it's really actually, hilarious. A friend of mine and I had actually uh, played uh, played the original Fallout at his place, and as an experiment. We somehow ended up with like a hundred bottles of the the new Coca Cola, so we just had the character drink all the bottles, nope. and, the, the, and and like all of our stats shot up, and then immediately we overdosed and they all dropped down, and it was gonna take like five days for the character to recover, but like all of, because of the overdose, all the stats were like at a minimum, at least the mental ones were, and the mental stats were dropped so low that most to the time we talked to characters, we only had uh, two dialogue options. One was stare silently, <laughs> and the other was Rah! That is fucking awesome. That, that is one of the things they did in the original game, and one of the I, I, I think it's Fallout Two is the one where you you run into a guy who's all like you know this the the, the village idiot who's a shepherd. He's like uh, you know. Moo's in danger. You help me now with Moo. I mean, he's just got this incredibly primitive way of talking. Um, and if you take a really stupid character to the same guy and talk to him, suddenly he has, he, has, he sounds like an English lord. He's all, I say, you know, pleased to make your acquaintance. There's a terrible problem with my Brahmin herd. Perhaps you would assist me. Oh, I would be delighted. You know, <laughs> it's only then when you read him that you converse. <laughs> Wow! That, like you're in a like you're in an English gentleman's club, and the rest of the time your your speech options are stare silently and ugh or ook or you know, it's just kind of awesome. Well, you know that strikes me as something because if if Thundar the Barbarian had come out just a few years later, what with merchandising tie-ins, I bet it would have made a kick-ass video game. Yes, I would, I would. I would like to see a, a Atari Twenty Six Hundred version of a game. <laughs> yeah, it'd be just like Sun Sword, Sun Sword. But <laughs> yeah, there's just, there's one button for Sun Sword. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, all right. So I think we all agree. And there's a different button for Ariel, and there's a different button for Oogla. Well, there's, there's activate Oogla. <laughs> There, there's a different button for Ariel. Don't you worry about that. Hey! Hey! But, uh... Wow. All right, so, uh, so folks, I think uh, that's uh, Thunder the Barbarian in a nutshell. Again, favorite uh, classic post-apocalyptic uh, cartoon action show that apparently a lot of people like, because, again, there's been uh, role-playing games... Uh, adapted for it, two different systems. There's a lot of wiki, there's like a lot of wiki pages and a lot of fan stuff out there, fan art. Uh, again, very well received. I think there's even a band that was made. Uh, somebody named their band uh, Ukla the Mock or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a band called Ukla the Mock. Yeah, I believe they actually performed at Gen Con a few years ago. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, thank God. I I would have hoped it was Ukla and the Mocks, but all right, we can go with that. Nah, even better. Uh, so, again, classic show. I said I posted a few things on the event page that you guys could find it. Uh, track down the documentary, Lords of Light, the Thunder of the Barbarian story. You could easily find it on YouTube. 
I also posted it on the event page. It is also uh, on the favorite section of the podcast at Ground Zero YouTube channel. So just go to the favorites. You can find it there real easily. 18 minutes of your time gives you some pretty good insight on that uh, cartoon. And again, we all love that. Car- we all love the cartoon. Again, I love that cartoon. I said I st- started watching it when I was 11. Uh, I don't think I played role-playing games quite yet. I think maybe within that year or so I first played D&D, then maybe like a year after that. I got I picked up a copy of Gam World like And they're maybe, like, aha, it's the Thundar roleplay. Exactly. Game. I was like in seventh grade, I'm like, Thundar, you know, so it um <laughs> You want um, give me the Vibro Sword, I'm calling it the Sun Sword, and we're done. We don't need another weapon. Exactly. So Gam World again fits in very uh well to that. And uh all right, that's it folks. Uh, like I said, you know, good show. Uh if you haven't seen it, it's it's I mean it's I mean you could pick up if you wanted a re- if you're a real good fan, you could pick up the DVDs. Um, they usually, you know, you can usually find them on sale, like a lot of times for 20 bucks or less. But it's also, it's all over freaking YouTube, too. So you can just watch on YouTube if you don't uh, feel like buying it. But again, I'm one of those kind of assholes. I like to, shit like this, I like to own because then I can just pop it in the DVD player, you know. Um, oh, well, yeah. it's not coming on Netflix anytime soon. So. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, so, again, that, that's our, that was our, sh- our show. And uh, I haven't... Talk to Scott about what we're going to do next. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, I said we, you know, we ran a little uh, about a week late on the show because I had, we had the holidays. I had some real bad crunch time with work for some uh, major projects I'm working on. So I, I, I really it. wish we could come up with something that was like the, the holiday apocalypse, but I don't know any goddamn holiday apocalypse. Yeah, I, that, that seems pretty thin. Yeah, well, the show will be after Christmas, but between New Year, between Christmas and New Year's. So um, I know one holiday apocalypse. Yes. Sir. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I know two. Uh, you've got all the Y2K apocalypses, which would have happened on New Year's. There's a holiday. <laughs> but the other, uh, there's uh, an episode of Invader Zim where a nanite-based Santa Claus goes haywire and, and starts to turn into, like, gray goo that's going to consume the Earth. <laughs> okay. I, I, all right, that's fair enough, even if it is Invader Zim. That counts. That counts. So, so we don't know what we're going to do next, folks. But, again, as we figure it out, we'll post it. Yeah, Because, again, like I said, this is a uh, labor of love. So we'll figure it out like we always do. And uh, so I want to thank uh, everybody for joining us. I want to thank everybody for uh, hosting tonight. Uh, as always, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Will, for joining us uh, again for the discussion. Again, always good discussions. And uh, what else? That's it. Uh, that's Please what we be socially media responsible. Oh, yeah. Well, I get tired of saying that because nobody fucking cares anymore. Okay, but, good point. Yeah. But uh, go out. we actually got I got we got over 100. We're up to about 121 li- uh, likes on the Facebook page. Woo! They, see, there you go. That's, 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 uh, that's, that's almost uh, like, um, wow. Yeah. Almost like now, what? <laughs> that's almost Kardashian levels of popularity. I mean, we're... We're really, really making some progress here. We're making some headway, and uh, well, there's also, and well, then there's also there's the, uh, well, you know what, what, what's, what's a real good gauge is. Let me see, um, how many subscribers do we have on the YouTube channel? We're like six. There's me, you, Bill Thrasher. No, no, no. We're we got. Um, oh, my wife. It's probably not my wife. No, we got. Uh, Quite a few, and if I could just give me a second, and I will. 
I could have sworn it was hadn't cracked a hundred yet. Oh no no no. Uh, well we're close. Now actually we got um, we got a ooh, we we had a hundred and eighty-eight subscribers on the YouTube channel. So. That's crazy. That is oh, nice. Two two hundred people on in America give a shit about this. What the hell? I don't know. It's 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 uh it's definitely the apocalypse is the downfall of America. But now, uh, now how are we gonna now if only we could find some way of exploding those 180 people in order to to pay our bills. Mm. Just mm. just saying that 67 people unsubscribe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just bam hit the unsubscribe. Well, we'll we'll set up a uh, GoFundMe account for just send us money because we want your money. Patreon. <laughs> Patreon, we gotta do that. Oh, speaking of things from up north, I'm working my way through um, uh, Shattered. Okay, uh, I haven't like, I haven't picked it up yet. I'm like I'm I'm way behind, so I, uh, I gotta get moving on that. So yeah, there's 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 winners and there's there's winners and losers in it. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, but I'm working my way through it, so um, maybe we'll take a crack at the Great White North's uh, apocalypse. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it offline. But so again, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, that's all we got for this week. And as usual, again, thank you for joining us. Be socially responsible, like we said before. So we are signing off. So everybody, uh, thank you and good night. See you in the wastelands. By the lords of light. <laughs> <laughs>